0: Hey everybody, this is Elise Bowie with the Maximum Mom Monday podcast. Today you have Little Me. I wanted to talk to you all about something that came up in our podcast last week with Carolyn Eliphant. And it has really stuck with me since I spoke with Carolyn. And so I decided that I was going to jettison the plan for today, and I was going to just talk to you all today about this because I think it is actually one of the most important things that we can all kind of get our heads around, and I am coming to you actually from a place of completely not having my head around this, and it is something that I struggle with regularly. And so I just thought it was important that we talk about it and we think about how we can fix it. And what I am talking about is the mind trash that we have in our head and that we have, you know, some little voice in our head that is constantly telling us that we're not good enough. We can't do this. You know, we can't do that. And it is just a barrage of negative self-talk. And I am often pretty stunned by my own mean girl inside my head and the things she will say to me about what I can and can't do. And I mean, I would think by now she knows better than to challenge me because I tend to get pretty ornery when she tells me I can't do something. But it, it doesn't change the fact That it is extremely damaging to our self-confidence, our self-esteem, just I think our overall well-being. But I think it is very important that we learn to silence our mean girls so that we are not having this constant barrage of things. And I think in our roles as mom, lawyer, and as an entrepreneur... I think that this mean girl can be really out of control. And I mean, it happens in all the roles and in different ways. But I mean, I find it to be really prevalent. And so it's something that I just want us to really talk about. And when I think about it in my first role, I mean, the role that is, you know, the most important role to me personally is my role as mom. I mean, here you are, you know shepherding these little beings into life and then into adulthood. And I find that as a mom, I mean, the trash talk that my mean girl tells me, you know, things like I'm not doing anything right. You know, I stink at my job and I st- stink at being a mom. Like, how are my children when they were little, how are they going to, you know, survive that I didn't make dinner every night or I wasn't home every night to help them? And, you know, just all the things. And I mean, are you there enough for your children to help with their homework, to help with school, to do all the things that they need? And it was a constant barrage of this type of trash talk. And I think that it really impacted how I went forward, how I felt about whether I was confident enough to make the decisions that I was making for my children. And I think, I mean, as a divorced mom, it was something that was really prevalent to me. You know, working as a single mom, you kind of felt like, well, maybe if I'm uncertain, then I don't know. And maybe I shouldn't do that. Or maybe I shouldn't try that. And I really found a lot of times that I wasn't strong enough about things because I didn't have the confidence and I questioned my own judgment and my own abilities way more than needed. And instead of just trusting, you know, that I'm a, an intelligent person, that I had the best interests of my children at heart, you know, that I'm mentally sound, can make good decisions you know, can weigh risk and benefits that I didn't need to question myself, you know, the to the degree that I was questioning myself. And I mean, I have found now as my children have gone into more young adulthood, it's been kind of a struggle because now I have gotten more and more confident and I set up some pretty strong boundaries. And so that is something that I think, you know, my children are like, whoa, what happened? to our mom. You know, it's something that they have really had to get used to because I am confident. I am more confident in my abilities. But I mean, the trash talk in my head is loud and it is something that I know we all struggle from. I mean, I hear it from clients. I hear it from people on my team. And it is something that I just think it is one of the most negative parts Of what is happening to us just our self-esteem and our mental health and i really worry about all of us i mean me included you know where we are not able to really kind of flip that pancake and change those thoughts from really negative thoughts to more productive thoughts and i mean i think about things for me and if you have met me or you know me personally you probably think oh she's perfectly confident and she's outgoing and you know she's she's fine the reality is i mean i have some of the loudest negative self-talk when it comes to certain things i mean going on videos which is kind of funny because i see in the comments that you can't see me right now so i of course did something wrong and messed it up but um So it's not my negative self-talk that is keeping me off the video right now. But I mean, getting on video has been a massive hurdle for me to overcome. I absolutely cannot stand pictures or videos. I mean, I have the worst self-talk when it comes to just being fat. And instead of, you know, just embracing whatever I am, whatever I look like, I just am so down on myself about it. And it has created this situation where I absolutely never want to be on a video And so I I tend to want to hide when it comes to certain things or certain marketing. And I've really been working all of 2021 to get, I mean, 2020, I don't even know what year it is to get over that. And it started with Jim's video challenge, which admittedly I fell off the wagon after like probably 36 or 38 videos, but just doing those first videos was hugely helpful in helping me overcome this problem. But it didn't truly, I mean, I didn't completely get over it and I still struggle with getting on video and doing things. And so it is something that is a constant work in progress. And again, that's an area where I think of like the negative thought I have, you know, Elise, you're fat, you shouldn't be on a video. I mean, that's not helpful. I mean, a more productive thought would be, okay, Elise, you're fat and happy, get on a video. You know, go for it. Like do what you want, do what you need to do. Get your message out to the people you need to get your message out and get over your own darn ego. Nobody cares. You know, it's not about me. It's about what I'm doing and how I can help other people, how I can help, you know, the clients. And so getting over that is so important. And I think one of the things that has been really helpful to me is doing a lot of reading and a lot of my own thought work. You know, I mean, though I'm not a life coach, I mean, I joke that I, you know, play one in, on TV, I guess in a podcast, but um, a podcast without a video nonetheless. <laughs> but um, really thinking about your thoughts and controlling your mind trash. And so, I mean, there's like a, a life coach, and I don't know if it might even have a, you know, like a name, but it's like an acronym. You think of your circumstances, your feelings that arrive from those circumstances your thoughts your actions and your results and i mean it shows you in that thought framework how your what you're telling yourself your thoughts so when you have your circumstances your thoughts your feelings your actions and your results it is that second layer in my mind at least those thoughts that are going to dictate the rest of it. They're going to dictate your feelings, your actions, and your results. So if you can control those thoughts that are coming up in your mind when you're facing a particular circumstance and learn to reframe those thoughts, then you can find your feelings will be better, your actions will be better, and thus your results will be better. And so really getting your head around what is happening in your mind and understanding that your mind controls, I mean, really everything. And so being able to flip that switch, for me, it's language. I often talk to myself in a way that I would never, ever talk to another person. You know, I mean, I refer to myself as, you know, like I'm dumb about something or I can't do this or I can't do that. And that's ridiculous. Obviously, I can do what I put my mind to do. And so I really have to flip the language and the message I give myself and underlining all that are the thoughts, you know, what thoughts are popping into my head. And so I think it is so important for us to really think about how we are thinking about our circumstances. Our circumstances are just facts, like it just is what it is. It is how we think about those circumstances that sets that ball rolling either in a good direction or a bad direction. And I know as an attorney, this comes up a lot. I mean, I get contacted by younger attorneys all the time who want to talk about this issue. And it is, you know, when you, it's that imposter syndrome, when you're working a case and you might have some attorney on the other side who's highly experienced, you know, they have a great reputation and you're thinking to yourself, whoa, what am I doing? I don't know as much as that person, or, you know, I don't know, they might be right. And you really question yourself and you think, well, I don't know if I know how to handle that legal issue. I've never handled it before. Or, you know, I've never dealt with this specific set of facts. So what do I think I'm doing? And obviously, we all face new cases. I mean, that's kind of the joy of being a lawyer is that we all face new cases. And we all have new experiences we have to deal with. And it is okay. And it is okay to not know everything at the beginning. And it is okay to need to learn as you go along. And so accepting that and accepting that you have absolute power over your ability to learn the thing, to do what you need to do, to get up to speed so that you do feel confident with that opposing counsel on the other side. And another part of being a lawyer I find that really inhabits our mind trash is... Clients And when clients get really, really angry about things, and a lot of attorneys, I do think younger attorneys struggle with this a lot because maybe they haven't had enough people angry at them to learn that it's okay. But to be able to step back from those feelings of the client and realize that your client's anger is much more about what your client is going through than what you have done. Now, obviously, if you have, in fact, done something that needs fixing or, you know, that you need to handle a hundred percent, you need to take responsibility for that, act professional, respectful, ethical, you know, all the good things. And but oftentimes clients have unreasonable expectations and they have anger and it is often derived by things going on within them. And it has more to do with their personality, their mental health than it does have to do with you. And so I think being able to step back, have a barrier around yourself for that. And I mean, I kind of think of it, I tend to be pretty visual and I think of it as mirrors. So when somebody might be screaming and yelling at me, which happens a fair amount, actually, (laughs) And like guardian ad litem work or parenting evaluation work, when I'm dealing with very high conflict situations, I think of it as a mirror. I just have mirrors r- around me. So when somebody is coming at me yelling, that mirror is looking at them and they're looking at themselves in the mirror. And so I'm able to try and distill what is in their you know, rage or their irate feelings and Distill what I need to take from that, you know, what might be important for my usage, what maybe I have done wrong and that I need to make amends for or I need to reevaluate. But instead of really soaking it all in and just becoming pretty defeated by the clients. And obviously, I'm in family law. So I do think we tend to have people who are going through extremely difficult situations. And they can become very, very emotional and very angry. Now, all that being said, I do think one thing we can do proactively is to manage our clients' expectations. And I think we can do that by putting out more and more communication about what to expect, about what the process looks like, about what the timing looks like, and for me, about what the randomness of court looks like. So that a client understands that when we go in court and I might think legally they have an excellent case and I might also simultaneously tell them that I think they might lose because judges are completely unpredictable and that maybe there's something sympathetic on the other side that I think a judge will hold their hat on without regard to the law. And so really managing those expectations of clients, I think, is very critical. And then The other role when we think about as entrepreneurs, I mean, let's think about what that is like. I mean, that is probably the role where we all are at least initially most out of our comfort zone. I mean, we haven't gone to three years of school about it for the most part. You know, many of us go to college, then law school, then hang a shingle or, you know, hang a shingle after we've been out a bit. So we don't have all the business expertise and acumen. And I mean, we don't know anything about running a law firm. And I think being an entrepreneur is really the arena where our mind trash and that mean girl kind of goes wild. And so being able to shut that down, or at least turn down the volume is so critical to an entrepreneur's success. Because the amount of roller coaster you will be on as an entrepreneur, I think, is extreme. And I mean, there is so much learning to be had. There are so many experiments to try and fail. There are so many things that you are going to be faced for the first time with no experience whatsoever. I mean, you might not even know what you're dealing with. I mean, like I remember having practiced law probably for three years running my own law firm and hit seven figures. And I didn't know what KPI stood for. I was literally like Googling the acronym because that's how clueless I was. And I had never, you know, made anybody follow billable hours. I clearly didn't have any KPIs since I didn't know about them. And I just was absolutely flying by the seat of my pants. Don't know how we did what we did to get there, but I mean, it was really not pretty. And so once I found, actually, once I started learning more and more and more, that is when the imposter syndrome came in. I mean, like a mean girl click. And I mean like a serious middle school mean girl click where I just knew for certain I was going to fail. You know, my team was going to starve because I wasn't going to be able to pay them. I was going to, you know, not be able to make it every month. I was worried about things. I mean, it was bad. And I mean, that mean girl went at it and went at me with regularity. I mean, like, well, what do you think you're doing? How do you know what you're doing? I mean, how do you know anything about personnel issues or marketing campaigns or financial reporting or systems in the operational side of your business? Or how do you create a positive culture? How do you manage a virtual workforce? I mean, I just had all the mean girl things in my head, you know, being told my mean girls were telling me all the time, like, Elise you better have a backup plan. I mean, you need a serious backup plan because this is all going to fail. And so I had this mindset of, well, I'm going to do these few little things that I'm going to keep over here in the corner that if everything else failed, I could fall back on those and everything would be fine. And so that kept me in this very safe place where I always thought to myself, well, it'll all be fine. I can just fall back on this type of work and, you know, I could earn my 100000 a year and everything will be fine. And so it literally just kept me shrunk and thinking in this way of everything's going to fail so I should be prepared. And I have to say that that is probably my biggest feeling of gratitude has to do with the pandemic, actually. So when the pandemic hit and I immediately went to that mindset of, okay, we're not going to bring in another dime. I better figure out how. You know, I can make this work and I pulled out my whiteboard. I mean, my husband went and got me a bigger whiteboard and I'm modeling all the things, you know, to get us through the end of the year, figuring out how are we going to make it? You know, how could I just not take any money out of the firm and I could pay this person and that person and my son could quit going to private school so I could pay my intake person. And I mean, I had all the what ifs, all the shrinking thoughts all the things and i mean i truly got my head around my worst case scenario and as i was sitting there just looking at my worst case scenario i thought to myself fuck that mean girl i was like that is not happening i'm like i am going to figure this out i am going to control the intake and i'm like if i can talk to people I can get clients like that was something I felt I knew. And so I started doing all of our intakes and I became, I mean, just like hard nose committed to making it. I called my whole team together and I was like, you know what, I know this is scary. I know the world is shutting down and you all are freaking out about homeschooling your kids, paying your bills, whether you're gonna be able to pay your mortgages. And the whole bit. And I was like, this part, your job, you don't have to worry about. I got you. And we will be fine. And so I told them that. I convinced myself first that it was true. And then I brought them all together and convinced them that I had their back, that we were going to do this, and that, you know, I did not worry for a second that I was going to be able to make this happen. And then I got to work and I put my nose down doing those consults, bringing in cases, doing all kinds of guardian ad litem work so that I was bringing in you know, income. I was hiring people so that they could handle all the work I was bringing in. And right now, I don't even know exactly how many people I've hired since March 1st, but I think we're around 19 people we have hired since the beginning of March. I mean, we have just been putting our nose down and getting it done. And it has been really, really eye-opening to see what can happen when you really shut your mean girl up. Because, I mean, I've had to do all kinds of things since March 1st that have been way out of my comfort zone. But you know what? That's okay. I've decided that my comfort zone is a lot bigger than I realized. And so even when I'm stepping out and I am in fact, past my comfort zone. I just remind myself likely I'm not going to die from this. It's all going to be okay. And so my mean girl can just go sit in the back of the room, be her mean girl catty self if she wants, I don't care and go do her thing, but I am not going to listen to her. And so really getting your head around what you think you can't do. And I think there's some value to figuring out the worst case scenario and playing it out, owning it, sitting in it a little bit and figuring it out. Because once you get past that worst case scenario, you're kind of golden. I mean, the rest in my vernacular is all Lanyap. And those of you who aren't from New Orleans, Lanyap is something a little extra. So like if you go to a bakery in New Orleans and you ask for a dozen donuts, I mean, nine times out of ten, you're going to get 13 donuts, because they always give you something extra. Or if you go to a fish market and you ask for a few pounds of crawfish, because you're going to whip up some crawfish etouffee, they're going to throw in some cilantro or some parsley or something. And so lanyap is a little extra. And so I think by understanding that you have that little extra all the time inside you, allows you to step outside your comfort zone and make those bold moves even when those bold moves are simply starting out with a productive thought and i know that sounds so utterly simple but it is truly life-changing if you can take your thoughts that are telling you that you cannot do something or that you are not qualified to do something, or that you are not good enough to do something. And you change that thought and you turn it into, oh yes, I can do this. And if I don't know all I need to know, clearly I can learn. I made it through law school. I can learn almost anything. Maybe not some higher level maths. I myself had to quit math after about differential calculus. I was pretty much stinking at that. But the other thing in this is that I think is a wonderful part of coming to terms with your thoughts. I mean, there are many things, many things. My team would tell you, I mean, how many that I cannot do, hence why I had to hire so many people, because I delegate away the stuff I suck at. I do not try to make myself do things that I suck at. I have come to embrace There's an author here in the Seattle area named Jessica Butts, who wrote a book, and I think it is entitled, Don't Do Stuff You Suck At. And literally, that book could have been written for me because it is my mantra. I mean, there is no reason for me to spend time trying to learn stuff that I suck at unless I actually love it and want to learn it. Now, I learned to knit. Um, That was kind of tricky. But I, I enjoyed it. I had fun learning it. So yes, I kind of suck at knitting. And when I try to make socks, they're kind of a shit show. Let's be serious. But I love it. I love buying fun yarn. I have loved knitting over the years. I don't knit a lot now, I must say. But I loved learning it. And so if it's something you really want to learn, I mean, go for it. Don't let anybody stop you from learning anything. But if it's something you suck at and you don't want to do it, my goodness, don't do it. Get somebody else to do it. I mean, and if you can't figure out who to delegate to, like you're kind of stuck, call me. I will talk to you and I will help you find who to delegate it to. I'm kind of the queen of delegation because there's a lot of stuff I suck at and I shouldn't be wasting my time doing that. And if my mean girl wants to tell me What I'm sucking at, I mean, I'm kind of appreciative of that when she's like, you know, Elise, you really shouldn't be doing these spreadsheets. I'm like, you know what? You're right, mean girl. And so I just send those on over to somebody who loves doing spreadsheets because there are people out there. I know it's surprising, but there are people out there who love spreadsheets. I look at spreadsheets and I start just getting cross-eyed. So delegation is truly one of the key things to help you with getting rid of your mind trash. Do not allow yourself to revel and live in the stuff you suck at. Move it, move it out of your system. And I think that when we talk about delegating, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. But I'm just going to put this out there. When you're thinking about delegating, I mean, Emails is one of those things that I think comes to mind a lot when we talk about delegation. And I mean, I try to have a very strict, pretty stringent rule around email. Either I'm going to do the thing that whoever's asking me to do in the email, I'm going to delegate the thing to somebody who is going to do the thing in the email, or I'm deleting it. So I do, I delegate, or I delete. And so that means I should not be rereading emails over and over again and, you know, perseverating on what it is or what it says or how it makes me feel. And I mean, I am kind of a little bit of a freak about this, you know, to do delegate or delete. And I don't let myself get all in my head about emails, even emails that are tough. I mean, sometimes I'll read an email and I'll get halfway through, you know, and let's say it's a a client that might be angry about something, or it might be a parent I'm working with in a guardian ad litem matter. And they're, you know, really vitriolic. I might delegate that to somebody else to read and give me a synopsis of what was said, minus all the the vitriol, And the, you know, angry stuff, like maybe I'm not in the mood to read all that angry stuff that moment. And that's okay. I think that it is so important that we protect our mental health and protect our mental well-being. And so if you've got that mean girl in your mind going, I mean, you need to turn down her volume. And if you have mean people outside your your head, people that are coming at you, maybe based on the practice of law that you have. Maybe you live in a home life that's somewhat abusive. Maybe you work in a business and it's a kind of a toxic environment. So, I mean, you're having this kind of negativity and meanness coming at you from the outside as well. I mean, putting up those boundaries is going to be critical for your well-being. And so, I mean, I say put up your mirrors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get an armor of mirrors around you. I mean, they're virtual mirrors, you know, they're in your mind, but they're very helpful for you to think about when somebody is attacking you. Think about your mirrors and that it is showing them how they are more than it is showing you how you are. And also delegate, 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 and control your thoughts Do not let your thoughts control you. I mean, if allowed, our thoughts will literally go cray-cray. I mean, they can take us down some really dark, windy, dangerous paths. And don't do it. Don't let your thoughts do that. Stop them in their tracks. Ask yourself, is what you are thinking true? Is it in fact true? true because oftentimes our thoughts are not even honest. I mean, they're just flat out dishonest. And so really controlling your thoughts. And once you can do those things, then you'll find your mean girl. She's not probably going to be all gone, but she's going to be much quieter. And the more quiet you can make your mean girl, the better, because that allows you to be you and to shine and to just do what comes naturally to you what's authentic to you without the mean girl saying oh well don't you go on a video because you're fat or you're this or you're to this or to that I mean we are who we are we look how we look and it just is what it is and so obviously there's things that I could do that would help this But I also am a good New Orleanian who likes to eat bad for me food, too. So that's something, you know, I have to struggle with. But I shouldn't make myself scared, quiet or hidden because of those thoughts. I mean, that's just plain silliness. We all know what that middle school group of girls looks like. That is mean, catty, cliquish, is looking for something to attack another person about. That is not who we want to be, especially inside our heads. We owe ourselves grace, patience, gratitude. I mean, like I was saying, I don't remember when it was the first, I think it was the first podcast when I was just introducing it. I mean, let's be serious. We mom, lawyer, entrepreneurs are bad ass motherfuckers. Like nobody can mess with us. We have the total trifecta that we deal with every single day. And we do it with grace, a plum, often sense of humor, success. I mean, it's pretty remarkable what we do. And the more you think about that, and the more you step back and watch what you're doing and how you're doing it, I mean, let's pat ourselves on the back. Let's not let that mean girl. Get the best of us because, oh my goodness, do we pull off some feats? And I am amazed at the women who reach out to me and who I am connected with and the things they do. It is stunning to me. Every single day, I am taken aback by somebody in my sphere of influence and what they're able to accomplish. And it's just remarkable. I mean, we manage to organize, nurture, love, maximize, make profitable, hire, fire, build cultures, develop systems, learn finances, practice law, go to court, do trial advocacy work, do all the client handholding that we do, be a good spouse if we're married you know, do all the things that we're doing. I mean, and not to mention all the things like picking up prescriptions, dealing with yard work, cooking dinner, cleaning, making sure the house is going okay. Dealing with the pets, dealing with all the emails from your kid's school about, I don't even know what the people at school think we're doing at home, but I mean, just getting somebody to manage that communication alone is kind of a life changer. I mean, The amount of email communication that I have received through the years from from my children's schools is kind of mind boggling. But I mean, we have got to accept that we are juggling a ton. We are doing a great job. Absolutely. We all fall down. I mean, duh, of course, we're going to fall down. We get back up. We learn. We do it again. I mean, we fail to our success. I mean, so that falling down that's okay. I mean, I think that we can be the most successful if we can fall down as messy as can be, pick ourselves up and then take one of those mirrors and turn it on ourselves and ask yourself, what can I learn from this? What did I do wrong? How did I contribute to this? How could I do it better? I mean, I think one of the goals of entrepreneurship, and I know for me, one of the goals of parenting is experimenting. I mean, I can assure you what I tried on my first child in 1995, I did not necessarily try on my fourth child in 2020. You know, I definitely have room for improvement. And being able to realize that there's some things I did wrong early on that, I don't want to repeat and that I might owe an apology for. But that's okay. I mean, that is just okay. Oldest kids are guinea pigs. I mean, that's just the unfortunate truth of the reality. And so but learning from those and being able to pivot and make different decisions. And for me, that's having different thoughts. So when the same circumstance arises, because with children often, The same circumstance will arise. You will deal with a very similar behavior and learning to control your thoughts. And this is a very simple example. But I have to tell you, it was pretty it was a a game changer for me when I had my first child. So that was like in nineteen ninety five. And I would try so hard to get her to sleep. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm exhausted. I need to go to work. So I would kind of beat my head against the wall trying to get her to go to sleep. And, you know, as kids are, I mean, they don't always go to sleep when we want them to go to sleep. And so I would get frustrated and I would sometimes bring her to my husband who was sleeping in another room, mind you, because he was working full time and thought he should sleep. Yeah, I know I was working full time, too, but we won't get into that. So I would sometimes bring her to him and just be like, I can't deal with this. And then when my second child came along, I decided, oh, I am so not doing this sleep thing again. I was like, if I'm going to be awake with this baby, I'm going to be awake with this baby. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to be perfectly happy, perfectly cozy because I'm a big, cozy girl and I'm just going to love it. And so when that second child was awake, I'd be like there with my glass of chocolate milk. I'd put on my soap operas that I had, you know, DVR'd all day or whatever we did, like (laughs) TiVo. I don't even know what it was, but I could record my soap operas. I could watch them and you know, you don't even feel guilty watching soap operas when it's three in the morning. I mean, what else are you really going to be doing? And so, and this was, you know, before we had all the stuff we have now, I mean, this is in, you know, the 1990s guys. So I could just watch TV, watch movies, just be perfectly happy and realizing that this time was going to pass. And this child would one day sleep through the night and would not need me. And so I was just perfectly chill. And that behavior and that chillness was what carried me through all the rest of my children and so instead of having any feelings of anger or frustration, and all that, I was just like, "I'm gonna just embrace this like this is a, a little cycle of life. It's gonna be awesome." and so i I mean that kind of revolutionized how I dealt with kids. And, you know, that frustration that we can find ourselves in. And so learning to control your thoughts is so much of the game of being able to get rid of that mind trash and flip your situation. You can turn any situation into its polar opposite. And so like we talked about with COVID, you know, being this horrible thing and yet, I mean, we as a firm have been able to flip it and it's become very positive and we have been virtual for five years. So we're just strengthening our virtualness rather than, you know, questioning how weird we are. I mean, now the whole world is weird like us. So we're just a world full of unicorns, which is all good. And the same thing, like when I dealt with a, a very long ago past natural disaster, I was a part of Hurricane Katrina. You know, I lived in New Orleans, evacuated. I mean, it's kind of a long story. It should be a little Hallmark mini series. But that was another time where, I mean, we were in a really bad situation. I won't bore you with all the details, but we had to make some <clears throat> big financial decisions and we were having this big tax crisis. And so I decided, you know, as the hurricane was going on and we were evacuating that now would be a perfect time to file an offer and compromise with the IRS. And it was, it was a perfect time. It was probably one of my most brilliant financial moves. But, um, you know, instead of just sitting around dwelling on all the bad that was happening, you know, really deciding like, okay, how can I take this natural disaster and how can I turn it around? So it'll be a stepping stone to my future and my successful future. And so I think our mind and our what we are allowing ourselves to listen to is everything. And so I guess that's probably all I want to say to you all today is hush your mean girl. I mean, just put that girl on mute because it's not worth it. I mean, the joy she is sucking out of your day And the amount of damage she is doing to your internal well-being. I mean, she is creating Swiss cheese inside of you. It's kind of like a woodpecker. Just peck, 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 peck at you. And they're just creating these little holes. Don't let your mean girl be a woodpecker. I mean, shut her up. Okay. I hope you all enjoy your day. And I will be back with you next week. Hopefully, I will be on video. It probably means I went in the wrong Zoom room or something. I don't know. But um, Caitlin in my office will help me because she knows that I need technological help. Hence, I delegate. But obviously, I'm going to have to fix the video piece. But I really appreciate those of you that are here. And I hope that you have a wonderful week. And every time you're hearing your mean girl, I want you to shush her. And reach out to me and tell me when you shushed your mean girl. I mean, let's create a revolution around shushing our mean girls because we got this, guys. We truly got this. Remember, you are a badass motherfucker dealing with a trifecta and you are the queen of this. Okay, enjoy your week. And it was nice talking to you all. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.